BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we learned this week that 19 people have died from COVID-19 at a nursing home in Contra Costa County, and at least 75 residents and staff have tested positive for the virus. We look at why testing remains inconsistent, even as these facilities experience major outbreaks. Then the U.S.'s coronavirus pandemic is once again at risk of spinning out of control, says Alexis Madrigal in The Atlantic this week. We'll talk with the head of the COVID tracking project about the surge in positive cases from Florida to Arizona and what it means for California. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The state's Department of Public Health reported this week that 75 patients and staff at a skilled nursing facility in Concord were infected with the coronavirus, resulting in at least 19 deaths. Nursing homes throughout the state have experienced outbreaks, and yet many facilities are still not conducting widespread or consistent testing for COVID-19. We look at what this latest outbreak reveals about the challenges that remain in containing the virus in nursing homes. And joining us is KQED science reporter Molly Peterson. Hi, Molly. Good morning. Start, if you could, by telling us about conditions at Concord's San Miguel Villa. Well, San Miguel Villa is the latest in sort of a line of uh, nursing homes that have had outbreaks in uh, Contra Costa County uh, overall. Um, I've counted, and this is in the state's most recent data, which is self-reported, I've counted uh, at least 292 workers and patients who've tested positive for this virus. Um, Of course, that's including at San Miguel Villa, um, uh, 62 patients of whom nearly a third have died. So uh, this is a a location where uh, patients need constant care and physical contact with workers that can't be avoided. Yes, it's a skilled nursing facility. You see a lot of interaction. And at the same time, as you mentioned, this is an issue that you've been documenting throughout the state of California. I mean, can you give us a sense of just what share of COVID-19 deaths are occurring in these long-term care facilities? It's been around, so long-term care facilities as a whole, and that would include assisted living, which are regulated by the Department of Social Services, as well as the skilled nursing facilities regulated by the Department of Public Health. Um, It's been hovering around, and today I just checked, it's right at 50% 
of the total deaths so far. Um, Obviously, uh, you have a lot of patients who are already in a compromised state in the skilled nursing facilities, so that makes a big difference. Um, And I would say that's higher than the national average, uh, which is somewhere around a third. So why such a disproportionate share of deaths? I mean, you've you've hinted at it, but but give us a sense of what are the real issues here that are causing so many outbreaks? Well, I mean, one, of course, we were talking about the overall condition of um, of these patients who are in skilled nursing care who have constant physical contact with caretakers. In addition, I think when you talk about the percentage being high in California, that speaks to the fact that overall California has more successfully flattened the curve than in some other states. So in the wider population, um, there have been fewer deaths, fewer hospitalizations. Um, And then we just we have these outbreaks that spread like wildfire through grass um, in these facilities. And um, in some places, we know that um, it's possible that workers who work in multiple facilities, say, might spread it from one place to another. There have been individual county-level efforts to sort of track and trace and test. But the response at both the county and the state level has been evolving since the beginning of this crisis. And even now, while the state is sort of requiring uh, some testing, it's also sort of mostly recommending testing. And I know that's confusing, but that's that's how these directives are phrased to these to these uh, facilities. Well, let's get into that some more. But first, let me invite listeners to join the conversation. What are your questions for Molly or, or comments about the situation in nursing homes in California amid the pandemic? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. This is a half-hour segment, so the time to call is now. And and so, Molly, yes, could you give us some clarification? Because I know that, that public health leaders say that testing is essential to getting a handle on the coronavirus at nursing homes. So why sort of what you describe as an inconsistent message around whether or not they have to do it, and why isn't it happening at the levels that it needs to? Well, the state, I don't know why the state has chosen to take a different tact and say in New York, um, there was a governor's directive that says you have to test everybody, period. Um, And, you know, in California, it's a recommended choice. Um, My guess is that it has something to do with who's paying for it because it's going to vary from location to location. What we know is that early on when we started to identify these outbreaks, um, different counties were responding in different ways. Some counties, they, they call them strike teams or task forces would call. Remember, counties uh, are public health departments, so they've got an interest in the overall public health. But the regulators are these state folks, these uh, California Department of Public Health officials, who made a choice early on to not be going to the facilities, uh, except in very, very, very limited circumstances. In addition, we have kept family members out, and we've kept out um, advocates for patients and their families called ombudsmen who work for the statewide Department of Aging. So we've the state kind of strategy from the beginning has been to minimize regulatory contact um, when going into these facilities. It was only very recently that the state said, okay, nursing homes, you have to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. We want to see a plan from you. That plan should include testing. But even where testing is 
quote, required, and I mean at the county level, like in San Francisco or in Marin, um, there's a lot of ways that they have to account for the fact that, say, um, patients may not consent. Um, workers may not consent. Um, they may not be able to reach everybody in a week. So um, the state has required baseline testing. That's the, kind of the clearest requirement they've done for about half of the facilities in the state. These are the ones where there have not been outbreaks yet. They've asked those facilities to do baseline testing. And we started to see those results published on a state page. Is access to testing supplies still an issue? It depends on the county. It really mm. does. Um, but counties, even counties that say that access to testing supplies has kind of slowed some things down, um, you know, also say that they're trying to work with these facilities so that the cost isn't borne entirely by the public. There's no clear answer as to who's responsible for paying for these uh, these te the costs of testing. And in fact, in the case of um, Sam, uh, uh, San Miguel Villa, um, the county told me that they uh, were working with um, Kaiser to do um, the, in the Contra Costa Health Services uh, was working with Kaiser's mobile team to conduct weekly testing uh, for residents and staff who were previously negative at that facility. So it just really, really varies. And I, it's it's a patchwork. The word patchwork comes up all the time. Yes. Well, let me go to listener Carmel in Lafayette. Hi, Carmel. Join us. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Go right ahead. So my mom is 94 and she's in a wonderful facility in Alamo and they're so responsible. They um, initiated having testing come to their facility and as it's been requested or slash required that the residents get tested and then the caregivers get tested once a month, which is fabulous news. My mom is covered under Kaiser. She has been with Kaiser for over 50 years and Kaiser does not have a mobile unit and they do not foresee having a mobile unit. Now at the facility, they are having a mobile unit come and test the residents there. Um, I believe it's BASS, B-A-S-S, but I'm not certain on that. However, many of the other insurance companies are reimbursing for this mobile unit to come to the senior residency. Kaiser is not mm. reimbursing, and I've spoken with, I think, six different um, supervisors and doctors at Kaiser, and they said, we'll bring her down. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Bring her through the drive-thru. And I said, oh, wow. she's been in lockdown for two and a half months. I haven't seen her. I'd love to see my mom to put her in my car with myself, who that day, you don't know if I could be infected and be transmitting that, even mm. with mask and gloves, is ridiculous. And Kaiser refuses to reimburse or to initiate a mobile unit. Well, and I think that's so irresponsible of Kaiser. Well, Carmel, I'm so sorry to hear about the frustration that you're going through. And Molly, once again, it's, it's this question of, of cost as well and who is paying for it as well. Yeah, and I should say, you know, I had done a story um, last month, and it was about a woman who was trying to visit her mother, who um, was in her 90s. This is uh, in Southern California, um, trying to visit her mother and was not being permitted to because her mother had tested positive for COVID 
But in order for her mother to be moved out of the COVID ward, and this was under the supervision of Kaiser doctors, uh, they just waited for a period of time. There was no uh, testing again to test her negative to determine that she was now COVID negative. And um, that was seen by some advocates I talked to as a cost-saving measure. So it's absolutely the case that as this continues, um, you, you can tell people are looking at the bottom line. Well, this listener writes, how can the state ensure that nursing home staff and residents are taking hygiene precautions such as washing hands, using sanitizer, social distance? It seems that would be most that would be almost impossible with residents who have memory issues. What can be done? I mean, you talked about earlier how nursing home staff go to different facilities as well. I mean, is that part of it? Is it uh, also just the precautions being taken by the staff there and whether or not those are enough? I mean, and also remember, uh, uh, Kaiser Health News did an analysis where they found that uh, some overwhelming percentage, and I think it's close to 80% in California, of nursing homes have had infection control deficiencies on previous inspections. Early on, Gavin Newsom said, hey, this is a big deal. We're going to call them every day. That doesn't necessarily mean that they pick up every day. And some counties took a more active and engaged approach to, and they said they said it you know they said they were educating these facilities because even if you do universal precautions washing your hands kind of behaving in a certain way coming in and out of rooms the the standards are so much higher now because the risk is so much higher so there's been a lot of advice coming from local officials but not necessarily uh, enforcement of regulations and you were saying that right now they're generally not going. Inspectors, regulators are not going to facilities. You feel like that's contributing to it as well. I think that's true. I also think in a case like this, I've heard from public officials, both at the state and local level, look, we want to engage these facilities. We don't want them to avoid us and be worried about getting in trouble. So they're not they're not dinging them or looking for violations. They're trying to make sure that they're actually just doing what they need to do. Again, we're talking about the spread of the coronavirus in nursing homes with Molly Peterson, a science reporter for KQED. And we invite you to join us, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us online on Twitter or Facebook, KQED Forum, or email us at forum at kqed.org. Jeff asks, can you say anything about the level of COVID-19 in independent living facilities in addition to assisted living and skilled nursing facilities? Have you been looking at independent living facilities, Molly? Well, independent living facilities aren't regulated in quite the same way. There are, you know, and people who are familiar with this world will know, um, skilled nursing sometimes is in a, uh, is, it exists in the same campus as an assistive living and then as an independent living facility. There's an odd fellows campus in Santa Clara County where that's true. I know there's some in San Mateo County as well. Independent living isn't necessarily given the same amount of scrutiny. I can say that I know that in uh, Santa Clara County, um, they have looked at senior living, independent living, assisted living, um, skilled nursing facilities, and they've been monitoring all of those. And some counties take that approach, but some are really just looking at the regulated facilities with healthcare workers. And remember, it's strange, but assisted living, while there may be medical needs for people who are in assisted living, is not considered a healthcare facility. So it's not subject to the same scrutiny in the first place. Um, so removing scrutiny doesn't necessarily change as much in those places. Um, well, we have seen, oh, sorry. No, no, go right ahead. 
I was just going to say statewide, you know, we have seen the vast majority. So over 43, 44% of the deaths, um, you know, about 2,400 deaths have been in skilled nursing. There have been about 408 deaths statewide out of the state's 5,700 plus um, in assisted living. No one's counting independent living in these totals. Well, Javay asks, has state and local leadership considered how systemic and institutional racism has impacted the spread of COVID-19 in nursing homes? Many of the staff at these facilities make low wages that they're often afraid to take days off to quarantine and decrease the spread. In addition, Molly, it feels like the toll is, is falling particularly hard on facilities with large populations of people of color. Um, has state and local leadership considered this? Yeah, I should say there was a New York Times investigation nationwide that found that uh, that there were clusters of outbreaks in neighborhoods that were neighborhoods that were predominantly black, predominantly Latino. Um, I don't think there's been a particular lens on this by state oversight. We have seen, you know, there have been 125 nursing homes at least in the Bay Area that have been um, impacted in this way. Um, and quite a few of them have been in Alameda County, um, but also in places like San Francisco and Pacifica. Um, but Oakland and Hayward in particular, um, there was a pretty bad outbreak early on in, in Hayward, and that is being investigated uh, for criminal complaint uh, by the Alameda District Attorney. There's also an investigation into the Arinda Care Center uh, in Contra Costa County. Well, let me go next to caller Megan in San Jose. Hi, Megan. Hi. Thanks for having me. Sure. So my my concern, I uh, my mom was 95 years old living in an assisted living facility, which, of course, shut down like all the rest of them. And I cared for her. I bathed her. I did her medicine. I went over frequently to help take care of her. And, of course, they wouldn't let me in because I wasn't, in their view, a caregiver. And um, I just want to say that I think allowing caregivers from caregiver facilities that are paid money but are going from facility to facility to facility to facility is just spreading the disease, whereas as her family member, and I was on shut lockdown here, so the only place I was going was my home and her home, but they wouldn't let me in. And, um, you know, they wanted me to go hire a caregiver, which I did. I basically hired a company to provide a caregiver for her, and then I had them hire me to be her caregiver. Mm. So I, that's how I was able to get in and see my mom. At which point it was too late. She had already declined too much, and I ended up bringing her home, and she ended up passing. But I just want to say that the the idea that having caregivers, which I became with zero training, you know, uh, rather than family members, I think is part of what is causing so many people to pass, even if they're not dying of the virus. They're dying from the isolation and the loneliness that oh they're experiencing. Uh, have raised exactly that concern um, yeah. frequently, and they've raised it with the state. Um, and as for this, you know, the thing about caregivers and qualifications, um, at the beginning of this crisis, there was a great concern that we weren't going to have enough caregivers. Um, and so the state waived some requirements that would 
slowed down the process of someone being able to be a caregiver. So they made it basically as easy as possible for someone to have some minimum qualifications and become a caregiver in this position. I'm so sorry this happened to you. Well, thanks again, Megan, for sharing that. And and Susan tweets, it takes at least a week to get test results back at my father's nursing home where there's been an outbreak. CDC and other experts recommend a 48-hour turnaround. Why are nursing homes such a low priority? And, and Molly, in addition to that, I mean, I wonder, so testing, I mean, once we can get that to be consistent and broad, I mean, are the next steps after a positive test clear and doable for these facilities? Well, Early on, I talked to, uh, in Alameda County, I talked to the interim health uh, director, Dr. Erica Pond, who said the important thing about a test is being able to act on the results. And so that would mean um, cohorting patients, putting people who are sick together, putting people who are well together. Um, You know, at the same time, not every county is able to scale up, you know, has in-house lab capabilities, is able to scale up to the level of responsibility required here. So they contract with outside organizations. Those outside organizations are highly in demand. And so uh, we think that's why there's been some slowness in testing responses, particularly for skilled nursing facilities. Well, let me give you a pair of comments here. One from Art, who writes, I have heard that some nursing home chains are making a lot of money from federal funding by hiding their finances, not paying staff living wages, not having enough nurses on duty. What can you tell us about this tragic situation? Are nursing homes focusing on profits rather than people? And Marjorie asks, are any nursing facilities in California organized as nonprofit? And are they faring any better in the aggregate in the sense of having fewer cases? There have been, um, uh, Charlene Harrington at UCSF has done some studies about this, not necessarily recent ones, but not much has changed. Uh, you know, overwhelmingly, uh, these uh, chains and these other organizations are organized to make a profit. And, um, of course, the margins are going to be narrow, and they're going to look for cost-cutting measures. California has more requirements than other states for um, minimum staffing. But those minimum staffing rules kind of got goofed up um, when we got into this uh, pandemic because, again, we were concerned that uh, it would be burdensome to try to hold these these facilities to that requirement. I've heard it's it's not a very transparent world. I have heard um, from ombudsmen and from other people who are advocates or who are familiar with this world or who work um, as uh, workers but don't want to speak on the radio that some facilities are paying uh, a premium to have their workers not work at other facilities at this time. In other words, stay within this facility. In Mm -hmm. San Francisco, when they knew there was an outbreak at Laguna Honda Hospital, they did contact tracing, kind of a deep investigatory look at where the workers were coming from. And if necessary, they gave some workers hotel rooms to try to help them isolate from potential risk. But yes, profit's a huge, huge motive. And there's some evidence that it's not that much better even when something's organized as a nonprofit. Well, do you see significant change coming to the nursing home industry as a result of what's happening with COVID-19? I mean, are you hearing these conversations happening? I mean, nationally, the nursing home industry is saying a reckoning is coming because their concern, and this is their lobbying angle into getting more money from the federal government, is that uh, if they aren't supported for testing, for staffing, for response to this pandemic, they're going to have to go out of business. And remember, we have kind of a, 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 a 
first in this population. In our in our population, we have a huge, huge uh, amount of baby boomers who are uh, getting older and in need of care um, and in need of a place to live. And so uh, California recognizing this need was in the middle of making a master plan for aging. Nationally, this is a concern as well. So there's this tension between wanting these facilities to stay in business and then the reality that if they stay in business, how can you guarantee the people in them are safe? Molly Peterson, science reporter for KQED, thanks so much for your reporting on this, and I'm sure we'll be checking back with you again. Thank you, Mina. And thanks to our listeners for their questions, comments. Stay with us as we look at the national coronavirus surge in the next segment. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.